And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. It's always good to look back and upon those uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who, in moments of crisis and persecution, stood up uh, to be counted. We're going to talk in the next two segments about Cardinal Clemens August von Galen, the Bishop of Munster, Germany, from 1933 to 1946. He did risk death at the hands of the Nazis, and we want to see who this man is, understand what motivated him, what sustained him, and uh, what the outcomes were. With me to talk about uh, Cardinal Galen is Father Daniel Utrecht. He is the author of The Line of Munster, The Bishop Who Roared Against the Nazis, Father Daniel is a priest of the Oratory of St. Philip Neri in Toronto and teaches in St. Philip Seminary and pastor of St. Vincent de Paul Church. Father, good to make your acquaintance. Nice to meet you, Al. Thanks so much. Well, uh, first of all, is it pronounced Galen? Uh, I pronounce it Galen. Galen, okay. So that's the way the Germans do, more or less. Sure, yeah, that's fine. It's von Galen, yeah. Um, this... Uh, this man served at uh, one of the darkest moments in European history, and he seemed to have understood how bleak it was. Uh, is that true? He certainly did. He was the the first bishop who was appointed in Germany uh, after Hitler took power, and he seems to have shown right from the start the, how he recognized uh, that there was a problem here because he took as his motto as bishop Nec laudibus nec timore, neither by praises nor by fears. And he explained that, that neither praises nor fear would prevent him from speaking and teaching the truth about Jesus Christ. Mm. And, uh, and then a lot of the issues he had first as a bishop were dealing with government interference in, for instance, Catholic schools, and with government um, propaganda for... Uh, a brand of Christianity in which they tried to make Christ an Aryan, uh, or a brand of, of religion which was totally pagan. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, this is important, real to, to grasp because, again, the, the Nazi uh, regime interfered in the life of the Church, and and he, as uh, Archbishop, had responsibility for the Church, so he had to fight back just on the ba- in, a, in a practical way. Um, but he also had to attack this weird teaching of the Aryan Jesus that was being promoted by some Protestant theologians. I don't know if any Catholics got involved, but I know there were some uh, renowned Protestant theologians who played around with it. Uh, there were, and uh, and that's probably that was that specific issue was more of an issue for them, I think. Um, although he did at one point. Uh, insult basically one of the one of the uh, uh, government leaders, a government minister of religion who who um, made a claim that that Christ didn't rise from the dead mm. he said, well, you know this is not Christianity <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. yeah, what is it uh, <laughs> whatever it is it's not Christianity uh, his biggest fight in that was against the the neo pagan ideology of a man named Alfred Rosenberg, who yeah. wrote a book called the Myth of the Twentieth Century right. Yeah, tell us a little bit about him. Uh, I don't think he's well known uh, to our listeners. Uh, his it, it was really he was the kind of um, ideological head of the of the party, uh, and um, spread this idea of of a um, of a going back to the pagan ideology. True Germans 
are are not Christian. Christianity mm-hmm. is a is a morality for the weak. Uh, true Germans should go back to the idea that that the race is God. God comes to um, God comes to a kind of fullness of awareness and fullness of His being in in the Aryan race. Mm-hmm. And um, von Galen just lashed out against that from from very very early on in in the in his in his uh, episcopate. Uh, he wrote a pastoral letter in Easter at Easter time of 1934, hmm. um, stating that uh, anybody who makes the race or the nation or a great man, God, is uh, is going against reason and um, and in danger of of teaching a morality that uh, is totally relative. Wow! Nobody could have misunderstood who he was referring to and what he was referring to. No. <laughs> Um, tell me about his, his, his parents, his upbringing, uh, what kind of home he was raised in. Okay. Well, he was from an old noble family. Uh, he was born in, in a house called Castle Dinklage in, in Oldenburg, which is an area kind of in the north, north part of Germany. Uh, this was one of the first surprises for me, um, just historically. I sort of get this picture after the Protestant Reformation of... Catholics being in the south and Protestants being in the north. Yeah. There were there <laughs> were pockets of very very serious Catholicism where he was from was one and where he became bishop which Oldenburg was part of the diocese of Munster in Westphalia. Huh. And that was first centuries a very very Catholic area. Interesting. Um the the castle with <laughs> the name it was it has still was was not really what we would think of as a big castle there was a, a moat around it but it was basically a like, like a farmhouse with some barns with a moat around it <laughs> and uh uh and his parents were very very devout catholics uh, the family always uh, went to mass in the in the chapel every day they had a chapel on the property um went again to the chapel at the end of the day for a rosary and half an hour of of meditations um, didn't have um, heat in most of the rooms. Grew up with very a very austere life, and this was something that uh, that he kept for the end of his to the end of his life. A very mm. devout Catholicism and a very serious kind of strict uh, um, life of, of penance and uh, and with um, as is often the case with people who've. Um, who come from an aristocratic background? This idea that that, that uh, no people who have noble blood and who have privileges are supposed to use them not for themselves, mm-hmm. but in order to, to to be of service to others. Yes. And so for him, and this for many family members, it was service in the church. Mm-hmm. He was homeschooled for the first twelve years, uh, basically by his mother, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, at the end with some tutors. As far as his religion lessons were all from his mother, and he. Mm-hmm said that uh, later he didn't really learn anything more about theology until he actually, as a seminarian, was studying theology. His mother's um, teaching of the catechism gave him a very, very good background. Mm-hmm. Was he considered a good student in seminary? Um, moderately good. No, he was not like a great yeah. genius. <laughs> he, <laughs> right. he passed. <laughs> His gifts were more practical, maybe. Huh? <laughs> well, it... it, it Yes, and in the end, um, you know, he had this reputation for being being a very bad preacher, but he, in the end, uh, showed that that was not the case, wow. at least when, when it came time to speak out. 
My guess, my guess is Father Daniel Utrecht. Uh, he is the author of The Lion of Munster, The Bishop Who Roared Against the Nazis. We're taking a look at Cardinal uh, uh, Clemens August von Gallen, who was Bishop of Munster uh, from 1933 to 1946. What was his uh, priestly—did his priestly life uh, point to—that pro- he would become prominent? I mean, was he a great priest, for instance? Uh, was he climbing the ecclesial ladder? Uh, he was a very good priest, a very devout priest. And in some sense, he was, he was he's climbing from the point of being just simply a chaplain— uh, to being a parish priest, mm-hmm. uh, but he had no idea um, that he would be bishop. And in fact, uh, he thought that he had reached the limit of his career. When really? After, after uh, he served in, in Berlin for 23 years, which was a very uh, interesting assignment because Berlin was just this well, it was a largely Protestant city uh, and a very secular. Uh, non-believing city in a lot of places, in a lot of ways. Think of, um, uh, think of cabaret, for instance. Yeah. The, the immorality of that kind of environment. That's what he had to deal with. That he was trying to serve the Catholics who were flocking to Berlin to get jobs, and then were uprooted from their homes. Um, he was called back to Munster uh, in 1929, I think it was, uh, to become parish priest of the of the main city church in this in the center of the city and that he felt was okay that's where i'll finish my my uh well career i'm not sure is the right mm-hmm. word <laughs> well yeah whatever his his course yeah. uh his course of service <laughs> yeah yeah <Good>. thank you <laughs> um when did he do we do we know when it first occurred to him that a crisis was brewing in Germany, an ideological crisis, that these Nazis would in fact be able to acquire power? Uh, or did he, like most people, not really expect it until after Hitler was appointed chancellor? I think he had some inkling that, well, he knew that there was a danger, and, and the bishops did as well. You know, the bishops at that time were telling people, you can't become members of the of the Nazi party, okay. but many, many Catholics did so, despite the bishops. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the chaos of uh, the Weimar Republic was you know, having large numbers of political parties, um, and... Um, and a lot of people call, crying out for we need a stronger government mm-hmm. because the the Nazis and communists and other people would engage in brawls in the streets and people getting murdered and nobody being called to account for them. This was something that was going on from from the early 1920s, um, even before there were Nazis. Um, and there was a, a movement in among the um, Catholic nobles group of of Westphalia, there were there were certain members of that group who were really pushing for the right wing parties um, to uh, to take power. And uh, part of the reason the bishop, his bishop at that time, called him back to Munster was to, uh, with the hope that he would try to uh, to bring them back to uh, to a more Catholic position mm. to to fight against the Nazis. Unfortunately, he lost that one. He was a champion of, of Catholic social teaching, though, in the spirit of Leo Thirteenth, right? Very much so, and uh, his great-uncle, uh, Bishop Wilhelm Emanuel von Kettler, 
uh, 19th century bishop was was one of the great influences on Leo XIII's social teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guest is Father Daniel Utrecht uh, of the Oratory. He uh, is the author of The Lion of Munster, The Bishop Who Roared Against the Nazis. And what we're doing is taking a look at the life and service of Cardinal Clemens August von Galen, who was Bishop of Munster uh, from 1933 to 1946. He once said that God had placed him in a position where he had a duty to call black, black, and white, white. When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll get to his engagement with the Nazi administration. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Father Daniel Utrecht. He is the author of The Line of Munster, The Bishop Who Roared Against the Nazis. We are looking at the life and uh, career of Cardinal Clemens August von Galen, Bishop of Munster from 1933 to 1946. So he becomes bishop in 33. Hitler comes to power in 32. In 33 30, also. Pardon? Also 33, but earlier. Yes, yes. And then uh, he writes, um, he condemns Nazi worship of race in a pastoral letter in 1934, right at the beginning of 1934. So he knows that there's that there's a, a clash here um, between the church and the Nazi uh, regime. Uh, how, what is the Pope... Pope, I guess it was Pope uh, Pius XI at the time. Right. What was the Pope's position? Uh, and what did he want his German bishops to do under the circumstances? I think the Pope's general position on this was, was to try to take uh, advice from what the bishops who were on the ground were seeing mm-hmm. and encourage, encourage them to be strong. Um, and... Um, you know, he had told them to to condemn Nazism before um, the Nazis took power, and then he had to deal with the reality of the situation. Um, at that time, uh, then the Holy See in, uh, entered into a concordat with with the new government, which was supposed to be guaranteeing the rights of the Church to continue to teach, to uh, disseminate literature, to um, have Catholic schools that were government funded, um, and the government immediately uh, in all parts of Germany was was trying to, was undermining every aspect of these things, and um, and the bishops, um, the, the, the Holy Father wanted the bishops to um, defend mm-hmm. the rights of the Church, uh, really as a way of also defending, um, defending human dignity. Because if the church can't teach the truth about the moral order, um, then uh, the kinds of crazy morality that the Nazis were preaching would would uh, would lead to terrible destruction. When he spoke out against uh, the the arrest of Jesuits and the confiscation of church property, um, what was the reaction of the Nazi administration? What did they do? 
they were they were very very furious um and uh this this pushes this goes back to this goes to 1941 already when he, he gave three f- famous sermons in mm. the summer of 1941 okay. um attacking the um the confiscation of the religious orders um there was he already had this long history of it and they they had always regarded him uh as um as somebody that they would make make fun of and attack in nazi uh um, ideology in in their uh, propaganda mm-hmm. uh magazines and so on at this point um they regarded him as a traitor um they were in the middle of a war, and he is um, basically attacking the government yeah. for allowing the Gestapo to uh, to operate uh, as a as a totally unjust organization. And he called out that if if justice is not restored, then despite the victories, we our great brave soldiers win in the field. Germany is bound to collapse from inner decay. So the local Gestapo people said, "We need to hang him." Uh, people were were distributing his sermons secretly, um, at risk to themselves, um, and and other people were being arrested, but he was not. And why was that? Yeah, uh, the Gestapo he, people. Yeah, I, I was going to ask. He was influencing some of the resistance groups, right? Yes, he was. Like White yeah. Rose and yeah, the, the, the great, very brave um, students and professors in in Munich, um, uh, Hans Scholl. Uh, one day found one of von Gallen's sermons in his mailbox <laughs> and wow. because people were do, were distributing them and that's where he got the idea he said we need to get a duplicating machine now so why didn't the nazis go after him directly because he was so popular in his diocese they didn't want to make him a martyr during the war so um, catholics in his diocese were making that choice between Christ or Caesar, so to speak. Yes, they were. Praise God. Um, and and what he had taught them uh, for years was the importance of obedience to the, to the rightful authority. And what he was teaching them now was still, we will obey them as long as they give us um, lawful commands. Mm-hmm. But if uh, we're asked to do something unjust, then he said there was there was a Prussian. Um, nobleman of a previous century who once said to his king, my head belongs to the king's, is it my head is at the king's disposal, but not my conscience. <laughs> so we have to disobey if we're told to do something unjust. So um, you know, soldiers were fighting in the field for Germany, uh, but um, to cooperate with or even to to let go by quietly the fact that their parents who were mentally ill at home were being killed by the government, or their brothers who and sisters who were in religious orders were being expelled from their homes, that we will not let go by without protest. When did he become aware of, say, the euthanasia program, or you know the state-approved killing of invalids? Sometime, probably about 1940, but early, but later in terms of his own diocese. Sometime around 1940 in other parts of Germany, rumors started going around that, first of all, people from who were in mental hospitals were being transported to other mental hospitals, supposedly uh, because they would be away from the bombing or because they needed to free up those places for to make them as hospitals for... Um, 
for wounded soldiers or for some other purpose. And then shortly afterwards, family members would get a notice, uh, get, a, get a letter in the mail saying, I'm sorry, your relative has died of yeah. pneumonia. Um, you can pick up the ashes or the ashes will be, will be sent to you. He, right. he found out in, in the summertime, really, of 1941 that this was happening locally. Uh, and he, uh, that's when he spoke up very strongly. Well, when did he become aware of what we today call the Holocaust? That one I don't know. I have not seen anything in the documentary, in, in the documents, about, as a, uh, about any awareness of the Holocaust, really, until um, after the war, when, when the death camps and the concentration mm-hmm. camps were liberated. Okay. Um, did he did he uh, take a position uh, on behalf of the Jews who were being tr- transferred? Uh, in indirectly uh, by saying that uh, everyone, no matter what their race yeah. is or where they're from, uh, has a right to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, uh, and and I think. Uh, People who knew what was going on knew what that meant. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, did Hit, do we know that Hitler uh, was Hitler must have been aware of him, given his oh. prominence, right? So, do we know Hitler's uh, comments uh, about uh, uh, Van Gallen? Uh, Hitler said in uh, to one of to some of his associates, and this is in. Quoted in uh, the book Hitler's Table Talk, Bishop von Gallen knows full well that after the war I will exact retribution to the last penny. Um, <laughs> oh, um, what what um, another of this of the Nazi bigwigs said at the time when the when the Gestapo in Munster were saying we need to hang him? Um, revenge is a dish that tastes better cold. So we'll take care of him after we've won the war. After the war, what became of him? So after the war, uh, he was dealing with now trying to to support people who were who were hungry and cold and uh, a conquered people. And he um, spoke he with the same kind of outspokenness that he used against the the Nazis. He he uh, uh, kept. Um, Complaining to the the British generals uh, who were in charge of that part of of uh, Germany uh, that they needed to take care for for public safety and and mm-hmm. food and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, in December of 1946, Pope Pius XII uh, announced that he was going to be making a huge number of new cardinals, uh, including three German cardinals, including two from dioceses that were not traditionally seized that had cardinals, um, the diocese, the, 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 the bishop of, of Berlin, uh, von Preising, and the bishop of Munster, von Gallen, and these two were the best-known anti-Nazis mm. among the, uh, the German episcopate. How... What was his relative, I'm going to put this, compared to the other bishops of Germany, uh, he's certainly one of the most stalwart. Mm -hmm. But were the bishops generally 
anti-Nazi? Generally, they were. I, I think I've, I've read somewhere that there were a couple that were uh, not so good about that. Right. And, and also, the, uh, like the Archbishop of Vienna, I think, was kind of famously welcomed the Anschluss of Austria, mm-hmm. right, right. Uh, Cardinal Initzer. Um, the, the, the question was the tactics. And the head of the, of the Episcopal Conference was for complain behind closed doors every time the, the Nazis violate the rights of the Church or human rights, but don't do it publicly. And von Galen um, was among a group um, who, were, who tried unsuccessfully to get the bishops to take a more, more public stance. I see. I see. Is it true that stormtroopers uh, attended uh, his installation um, with Nazi with swastika flags? That was that was uh, there were swastika flags at the time of his installation. Um, <laughs> that was um, th- this was the very early period of uh, after the Concordat had been um, concluded between Germany and the Holy See. So the idea was um, we are trying to show a cooperation and trying to build a cooperation between church and state. So they were there on so-called friendly terms then? On friendly terms. At, at his installation, yeah. Yes, at his installation. Well, it's a wonderful uh, work that you've done for us, uh, Father. Uh, I had, I've, I've known the name and I've seen it come up many times, but I've never had anything this substantial, and I thank you so much. I hope we can call on you again on some anniversaries. Oh, well, thank you very much, Al. Thank you for having me on your program. Thank you. Father Daniel Utrecht, it's called The Line of Munster, the bishop who roared against the Nazis. I'm Al Cresta.